0: Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is photographer and New York Times photo editor, Miko Takunin. Miko and I are going to talk about his upcoming book, Hong Kong, published by Kara Verlag, with an essay by Jeff Dyer. But before we get to that, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a fantastic way to start or add to your photo book collection. Uh, Right now, the book club is experiencing very high volumes of orders. Uh, So the next two books I should be receiving are Youth Without Age and Life Without Death by Laura Panic. This inaugural book from Laura Panic marks the first chapter of a long-running project which the artist uses large format photographs, Polaroids, drawings, and personal notes to grasp at the intangible and explore her connection with time itself. And then I believe the next book on the list from the book club will be Broken Shadow by, and I'm going to have trouble with this name, uh, Oivind Gelman. I apologize if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, For over 30 years, a has worked as a photographer on the Norwegian island of Stord. His work is characterized by poetic images seeking to show the passage of time in an often enigmatic way. So if you want uh, either of those books, I'm not sure which one will still be available by the time you join. Join the Charcoal Book Club at charcoalbookclub.com. So the book Hong Kong is Miko's farewell to the place where he worked for over five years as the New York Times desk's Asia photo editor. It is also where he started his family and witnessed some of the greatest social upheavals in the country's recent history. We talk about how this book is not a social or political statement, but an observation and an embrace of a place that he loves and is forever connected to through experience. It's a really wonderful conversation. And Miko has a fascinating background about how he went from photojournalism to photo editor to documentary style photographer. And just as a side note, I didn't realize this until we were done recording. Miko is married to Veronica Sanchez Bencomo, which listeners of this show might remember Veronica as a guest on the show or real devout listeners and followers of Real Photo Show may also remember that Veronica founded Photofeminas and we did a group show of Photofeminas at the JKC Gallery that I used to run. So that's a really lovely connection. I do love it when things like that happen. Uh, I had no idea or maybe I forgot. I don't really know. But uh, it was just a nice little surprise. And one last note, I'm in a show. Yes, I'm actually in a show. Something I don't do very often, I probably should do more. Uh, So I'm in a show called We Are the River, Complex Narratives, Conservation, and Committing to New Jersey's Waterways. Uh, I'll be featuring work that I've done uh, on New Jersey's rivers over the past many years, the show is curated by friend of the show, my good friend, Ryan Casey, and Allie Wilson, who I just happened to also cross paths with at RIT during the homecoming event. So again, all wonderful connections. The more you put yourself out there, the more great connections you make. So uh, anyway, this show is from January 16th to April 7th at Stockton University uh, in the Lower Gallery. And there'll be a panel talk and reception on Monday, February 5th at 1130 in the morning, Uh, And I know that's probably not a convenient time for most of you all, but it's also more convenient for students who attend. So uh, if you can make it, that's great. Uh, If not, uh, maybe you can visit the show at some point if you're uh, coming through New Jersey. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. And we will talk soon. Hi Miko, it's uh, very nice to meet you. Thanks for doing this.
1: Hi Michael, uh, thanks for having me. I've uh, I've never done a podcast, so I'm I'm very excited.
0: That's actually really nice. I'm really happy to be your first podcast, yeah. <laughs> and also your first monograph,
1: right? My first monograph, yeah, which I'm I'm very very excited about, and yeah, and it's I'm, fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting it out to the world in. in
0: couple months time that's right i have a i guess i have an early copy you have right? an
1: advanced copy uh, i've been i've been sending it to some people that i've kind of hoped to see it and and the publisher's been sending it around and and um in early april people can then purchase it or i think also right. pre-order but soon
0: published by Kara verlag right uh, that's
1: correct yeah
0: yeah yeah i never know if i'm saying that right oh, I guess, yeah i don't speak <laughs> german
1: but i guess it's it Kara verlag I'm, I'm not sure probably. Bit, yeah.
0: <laughs> but um yeah, so and and you live in New York, so I will Make a point of coming in at some point and getting you to sign it, too.
1: Yeah, if you, you know, come by and, or, you know, I'd love to, I can, if you want to come by the New York Times building or New York Times headquarters, I can show you around the New York Times. um, Oh, that would be awesome. Museum. We have a cool museum up on the 15th floor and I could show you around.
0: Oh, I'm going to take you up on that for sure. So before we get to uh, talking about your book, Hong Kong, give us a little background of, of how you got into all of this. And I know from doing a little research that you you didn't really pick up a camera until you're about 25 so tell us about you know a little bit before that how you got yeah. there
1: so yeah I'm from originally from Finland from a very small town in eastern Finland and uh, I originally I left Finland in around tw- when I was 20 to live in London for a bit for like six months and uh, uh, after which I returned to uh, I was just working there but I returned back home but I was looking I was very kind of active getting active in like Environmental groups and some political groups, and which led me to wanting to study um, politics and international relations. I, I wanted to get to study in the University of Helsinki, um, but I didn't get in. I didn't pass the entrance exam. Uh. <laughs> and after after that disappointment, I started looking into like options of where, you know what I'm going to do next. And I actually ended up applying to Scotland or the, or the different university in the UK. After, you know, I already spent a bit of time in London and. Uh, I I got into a politics and international relations program in Aberdeen University in Scotland. Uh, it's a four-year program, and uh, which I really loved. But I think towards the end of that, you know, I was still I didn't I wasn't really sure what to do, what I wanted to do with my life after the degree. And um, but I started taking. Just photographs, you know, we were doing a lot of like hiking in the highlands with, with my student colleagues or fellows and, and we had like, a, you know, environmental group and we did, you know, some like pro- different kinds of protests, you know, it was against the first Iraq war, you know, and I started first doing the, like all these photographs just doing our hiking, you know, up the mountains and so on and then also at some of these political protests. Uh, but it wasn't until one of my, my course mates on the international relations course showed me the James Nachtwey documentary, War Photographer, that I I was really reading a lot of news, consuming a lot of news, you know, studying international relations, doing you know, and getting more and more passionate about photography. But then I saw that documentary and it was like in this huge eye-opening for me that what is this world of photojournalism? Obviously... Having read newspapers, I saw images, but I had really never thought of that as a, you know, as a profession one could do. And actually, after I, I graduated from the international relations course in Aberdeen, I, I ended up enrolling on a photojournalism course in Swansea, in Wales. It was a three-year course, and, um, you know, I did that. And then I, I, after that course, I ended up working as a like a kind of news photographer, case photojournalist in London for a couple of years. But I was kind of doing... I guess I wasn't really doing the kind of assignment work that I really enjoyed. I had done some like student work in Sierra Leone and Lebanon during my time in Wales. But in London, I was doing a lot of like quick portraits, uh, which mm. wasn't really something that I enjoyed terribly or or like just different kinds of small events. But, but while I had studied in, in Wales, I had also started blogging about photojournalism. I had this... Blog called Photojournalism Links, which kind of became popular among, I guess, the photojournalism industry, if you can say that. And it kind of started before Twitter and Facebook and and even Instagram. And, and I was basically looking at different line of mostly English speaking news websites and seeing what kind of photojournalism they were sharing. and um, That's
0: kind of the beginning of your editing,
1: that's, right? Yeah, exactly. That's very much the yeah. beginning of my editing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of creating my favorites from, you know, whether it right. was the New York Times or Time Magazine, or new, back then still Newsweek, and The Guardian, and so on. I then went to the Vishapur Limaj Photojournalism Festival, um, I guess it was like 2009, 2010. I met one of the Time Magazine international photo editors and showed him some, some of my work and... And you know, obviously, other editors too. But um, later on, um, I guess it was two, three years later. The same Time Magazine photo editor got in touch with me, saying that you know they were looking for a junior photo editor to join their team on the on their online sign time, time.com, in New York. And and if I knew if you know anybody who would be interested, and I I immediately thought, well, I, I'm interested. <laughs> and uh, and I, I looked at looked at the uh, you know the requirements, and it was like you need three three years of like newsroom newsroom experience and and mm. all that which none of it, which i had and i asked him like um well i told him that you know i would be interested and he was like well if you're interested write to our director of photography kira Pollock and see what she thinks and i wrote to her and on the on you know i think it was the following morning kira got back to me saying you know i love your blog i love what you do you know let's talk and um kind of overnight then i was like oh i really <laughs> want to do this this is what i this is exactly what i want to do now and so after you know, very um, heavy, I guess, interview and, and testing process, They, uh, you know, I eventually got the job. And, and, and you know, in the beginning of 2012, then I, um, you know, I got the job at time.com as an associate photo editor. And that kind of really, I pretty much like put, laid down my cameras then. And, and I felt like, I guess I was like, thinking that I want to be, try, I want to try to be the best photo editor I can be. And I, w- I don't want to, I guess somehow I thought I can't, I don't want to be seen as competing with photographers who I might be editing and so on. And, you know, right, right. that's that, that's the road where I'm at. At 2015, end of 2015, I joined the New York Times. And then 2016, you know, I moved to Hong Kong to be the Asia photo editor for the international desk for the New York Times. And I was there for till summer of 2021. And, and, and really, it was during those 18 months, you know, at the end of my time in hong kong where i really started i guess it was like two years that kind of started during my last two years in hong kong i started taking photos a bit more but it wasn't until really i would say from very very beginning of 2020 that it became like a kind of a more passionate and more serious endeavor and and you
0: know you um You had some early successes when you were still doing photojournalism Mm -hmm. with The Guardian, uh, the New York Photo Awards, PDN, Mm -hmm. Photo Annual, uh, some Finnish uh, awards as well, I believe, right? And then you give it up to be an editor because you want this kind of uh, uh, integrity, right? Yeah. About being a photo editor. It's like, I can't be a photographer and a photo editor. Yeah. And you sort of double dip in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. In your own world. And... Do you think that also the attraction of of being a photo editor was also a, the stability of a job and a paycheck as well? Uh, well,
1: well, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, in 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 London, it was especially you know I was very kind of new to the industry and you know struggled to make it work financially. All the, you know, I I was working a lot for the main Finnish daily newspaper in Sanomat, which was really a lifesaver. I mean, they were they were probably like eighty, ninety percent of my work. I mm-hmm. worked. They had a. At least back then, and I maybe still do, they have a UK correspondent and I would travel, the, you know, around the British Isles with them and, and made enough living out of that. But it was certainly <laughs> a, a struggle. And I know that it's, it's, it's even more so now for a lot of young people starting and, and then to, you know, suddenly get an office job and and get a regular paycheck I never really wanted an office job and I don't know if I really uh, even still do I guess you know but um but definitely it's it's you know it takes a lot of pressure of of, of having that you know regular paycheck whether it's you know every two weeks or monthly but but yeah that was certainly right. uh, um, life-changing too
0: it's not exactly the same but uh, I mean the parallel to to what I and many of my friends do is we teach and we're photographers Mm-mm. And, you know, teaching definitely cuts into the amount of time where you could be out photographing, editing your work, promoting your work, being out in the world, but it also is... Not just, you know, some security and all that, but it's also uh, an ability to stay connected to a different part of the photography world. That is students who are just sort of learning, coming up, seeing all their work, right? So you're still kind of in it. And being a photo editor, of course, you see a lot of work. Now that you've sort of reconciled that idea of being a photographer and being a photo editor, do you see being a photo editor as also being helpful to being a photographer and vice versa like do you see them actually feeding into each other now
1: i don't know how much they they really feed into each other because i guess the kind of type of photography i've ended up kind of doing now is very different it's completely rem- mm-hmm. i feel like in many ways so removed from what i photo edit at work mm-hmm. it's you know obviously there's certain things that, that make a good photograph and and you know all of those things apply to both but but at the same time, I feel like I'm, um both because I have a regular paycheck. I guess I feel so liberated. I can just take the photographs I want. <laughs> I'm not. I haven't done any editorial photography, and I kind of have no desire to do it. I, you know, I just so you keep
0: to the worlds a bit separate yeah, because yeah, you, the yeah, kind yeah. of work you're doing, yeah. which, which we'll get to in a, a yeah. minute, with so the work that I, I
1: You know, it's free. Yeah. I can just do the photographs I want without the, you know any kind of financial pressures. But also, they're different in terms of like. At work, the work that I edit it is very much about something. And when, you know, and, you know, maybe this will come up later too when we talk more about the Hong Kong images. It's to. like, yeah. what is, I think what is like, what is my work about, you know, the work that right. I'm, I'm doing <laughs> is, you know. Well, but Jeff I,
0: Dyer writes a great yeah. introduction dealing with that idea of what is this work about. Yeah. And we'll, we will get to that. Yeah. We will get to that.
1: But I, I guess I would say, you know, my life revolves around photography, obviously. It's, it's what I do in the office. I might be up early in the morning, you know, when the, you know I have two young kids and, and, you know, I might wake up early to kind of get a bit of my own alone time and I might be looking at photography books like 6 a.m. <laughs> in the living room. And, and then, I, you know, I go to my, do my office hours and then, you know, if I have like today, the, you know, fa- the, my family is going to a play date and I have like three afternoons, I'll probably head out right, with a camera right in New York. Right. Uh, but But there's obviously there's, you know, when you have an office job and a family, it's like, I'm I, I envious of f- full-time photographers because they, you know, they have time. Um, to really go out when you want but I guess it's you know when, when I have more limited time it's like then you, you really kind of you're like a bull out of you know in the road you're like you're yeah. out, out of the gate and you yeah. just like get really excited and you have a couple hours to do what you want and, and that's really exciting
0: yeah before we, we jump into the book just to get a little more background what did your folks do for a living what did your parents do for a living
1: my father was a taxi driver he, he sadly passed away in 2016 um, and, and oh my I'm fa- sorry yeah. thank you and, and my, my mother was a teacher's assistant in a primary school so in a way, like, I mean, I'm the first one in my family who even went to high school. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we didn't, no, nobody in my family or extended family really did arts. Although I, you know, my well... My I have a twin sister who did you know like crafts and she does she does it like this, this artisan candles and you know there's definitely a creative side to her yeah. and then I've now recently learned why my, my little brother has started painting so I feel like oh, wow. but it's really funny that all in some ways in the last couple of years like we've all kind of um, well become, it's, it's, you know, um, found our creative side in a way
0: here in the states it's kind of a classic blue collar family story you know the the parents did this the uh, the work for their kids to take on more sort of uh, life-affirming or creative kind of roles in their lives, right? Yeah. Uh, they sort of set the groundwork for that. So let, let's talk about the book. And, and by the way, I see, a, I see a kind of thread going all the way back to your interest in uh, international relations and politics to becoming this photojournalist and photo editor of photojournalism. Mm-hmm to the work in this book. I mean, I think there's a thread and I'd call that thread a social concern, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of being interested in how politics, in how re- international relations affects people on the ground, affects the lives of people on the ground, right? Yeah. Do you see that that kind of thread?
1: I guess it's like, I, I don't I don't consider the work that I have done any kind of like, you know, it's not like social documentary or it's not like concerned photography in the tradition of the ICP.
0: No, no, it's not. No, yeah. It, I, yeah, I'm not saying it's the same. Yeah, yeah. What The thread I see is your interest in this place as you were saying goodbye to it. Right, right. yeah. Uh, it kind of came to a head through the period of COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this work is inspired by this forced isolation in some ways, isn't it?
1: It is. It is very much. And then also, you know, the aftermath of the, you know, the political process of 2019 right. in Hong Kong, and the, and you know, the change in political climate, and which especially during the summer of 2020, the, you know, mainland China issued this kind national security law, which really like stifled, if that's the right word, of you know, lot like, of you know, political speech and freedom and media. Mm-hmm. And even though I guess the images aren't directly, you know. It's it's not showing protests or it didn't it doesn't they don't show you know obvious signs of anything related to like political climate and so on. I feel like there's a lot of images that when I was taking them, I was certainly thinking of those things, and and I, I don't you know I I don't make any statement in the in, in my short text at the end of the book of like claiming certain images specifically addressing certain you know you know political no, or social economic right. issues. But right. but it's definitely something that I, I was thinking about, and, and and you know and there's certain images where. I might be the only one, per, you know, who, who um, really gets what I...
0: <laughs> what you were doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly <laughs> hope
1: that people get their own ideas, but I don't, I don't want to kind of enforce it or like, you know, give it, you know, make a statement and, and claim that the photograph has that certain meaning or... Uh, but, um, right. The other night, earlier this week, we were meeting with the with friends of ours who, who also moved from Hong Kong back to New York a couple of years ago. And, and they're not really in, in the arts, but mm-hmm. they saw the book and they were like, they seem to really get this kind of farewell sense out of it. And I, I guess, you know, probably a lot of people, do, everybody gets their own kind of sense out of it. But right. But definitely, the, you know, the, there's a lot of that like COVID isolation, although there was never really a lockdown in Hong Kong as much as, you know, we were sent home. But in some ways, the, the city, you know, I wasn't in New York during that time. But what I've understood is that it was very strict and everything was really shut. Whereas in Hong Kong, kind of life went on largely pretty much as normal people were you know a lot of office workers who could work from home did so but then everybody else wore masks everywhere and and kind of life went on and you could maybe only sit two at a table in a restaurant but i i worked you know nearly that 18 last 18 months in hong kong from home and i saw i, I only saw my colleagues really on the on the on the google hangouts and and like i i also write in the book that I, you know I, some of the first photographs i ended up taking from the you know from the 19th floor Bedroom window or the living room window of the you know the apartment where we're living and and observing people because I I guess when I when I lost the need to go to the office especially in the beginning I might go days at a time at a, at home and and when
0: I was looking through it and because you you call it a last embrace right in, in mm-hmm. your essay at the end and it it also felt to me like a bit of an escape in some ways uh, a bit of um, a way of being you know out in Hong Kong for the last few times that mm-hmm. you would be you knew you'd be there but also an almost like a, a psychological or emotional kind of um, release for you as well, right, personally.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was getting very worried in the spring of 2020 where, you know, all the countries, everybody was shutting borders. It wasn't actually right. even possible to leave Hong Kong or, or, or come in. Uh, later on, it was possible. But if you, if you went out, you would have to stay like three weeks in a quarantine in a hotel, which we didn't really want to do with the kids. But anyway, but I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the spring of 2020, I was very worried. And I felt like for a period that the world, the world was coming to an end, that this is, this is you know, some sort of apocalypse. that um, it sounds melodramatic to say now. But back then when everything was closing and I, I really thought for a minute that the world as we knew, know, knew it back then was over. And will we ever return to you know not wearing masks? you know this was the time when there was no vaccines yet and 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 we really didn't know how exactly how contagious or how deadly it was and you know obviously it became very apparent that it was very deadly and but then also luckily right. there was like we got those vaccines, but it was kind of a very scary time and, and 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 going out at night you know once I started going out kind of leaving the apartment more i I would usually go out at night when you know every you know the city was empty um you know, partly to COVID because there was no, you know, the bars weren't, but also, um, you know, it was night and it was like a release, a relief to, you know, walk those streets and kind of like be out, first out in, just to be out,
0: be outside, be really out, right. outside, but
1: then, <laughs> but then the creative active of taking taking photographs like gave me something else to think about from all those concerns that. Well, of, what, what, we what, should what?
0: remind people mm-hmm. that in two thousand nineteen, I guess right before. Covid, the protests in Hong Kong were enormous. It was these anti-government protests. The, the fear, the fear of being taken over by mainland China, right? And and China putting in its people who are more friendly towards that idea mm. in the Hong Kong government, right? Yep, and then yep. there were huge protests. Yeah, I mean
1: these these protests went on from June of 2019 till January 2020, almost mm-hmm. daily. I mean, we had some protests where there were two, three million people. I think 2 million people in a a city-state of of 7 million people. Right. I mean, that's like what, you know, over a quarter of people on the street, incredible protests. And then these daily, almost daily clashes between protesters and police, and I would leave the office and I would, you know, sometimes have to take a taxi to kind of find a route back home because... You know the normal route was shut with barricades and tear gas, and so so the whole last three years of or two and a half years of my time in Hong Kong was really kind of crazy. That there was this really long protest, and then with suddenly kind of the COVID restrictions, I feel like came handy with the I guess for the government because they managed to kind of use those rules to you know to really put a stop to the the daily protest, and and then which then pretty much stopped very fast, and and but that was kind of the. I think there was a weird climate in Hong Kong in 20 coming to 20, the year 2020 already because of that you know that nearly you know mm-hmm. over 6 months over 6 months long protest period.
0: Yeah. I mean you were you were there <laughs> towards the end you were there during the most intense times that you know you could be still be an outsider. Uh, I mm-hmm. think you 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 referred to yourself as is it guailo?
1: Yeah, it's it's like a local word um used of white foreigners right. and and, right, right. and there's even but, like a beer called guailo beer but I, I guess you know i also wanted to have that word make it, make it clear that i was an outsider because i feel like especially now with all these conversations in photography and you know diversity and who gets to represent people right, and right, right. places and you know i i fully admit i was i was an outsider in hong kong i didn't work i didn't learn cantonese and, and i mostly worked with expats and but i also if you know Hong Kong, you know that it is also very much an, very cosmopolitan. It's it is an very expat place. It's global. It's, it's right, Very right. global. So there are a lot of foreigners, and there's a lot of guaylos, and, right. <laughs> and and that's part of Hong Kong too. And and you know, and I had a lot of friends working outside media and if, you know who lived in Hong Kong, and you know a lot, of, a lot of them left too. So you know there was that change as well. well you
0: have, yeah, you have an interesting connection being that outsider, but also looking at the the most intense parts of what's happening culturally through photography, right? Mm-hmm. Day after day after day, you know, seeing seeing all the events filtered through the photojournalism world, being there during like the biggest social upheaval and then the strangest pandemic, you know, that, that uh, any of us in our, our lives have experienced, I would imagine. Yeah. And also... Your daughters were born in Hong Kong. You started yeah. your family in Hong yeah. Kong. So you have this very interesting connection to the place. Do you think that the combination of that that social upheaval, knowing your children were born there is infused in the work in the book because there's a there is a kind of even though I think formally speaking, you know, your work has been I don't know how you take to this, but I I, I think Jeff Dyer and maybe someone else who wrote about the work mentioned Saul Leiter and the New York Photography School, which had this sort of kind of non-photojournalism, mm-hmm. but social interest in the cultural interest in a place kind yeah. of uh, approach to photography. Your photographs are formally very busy in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but also very quiet at mm-hmm. the same time. There's a, a flatness to the perspective in, in a good number of the photos, I think, from a, a long lens perspective. Yeah. That creates a, a kind of distance, which I think adds to the quietness of the photo. Mm. It's like seeing something from a, a distance that's kind of noisy, but you don't hear the sound till mm. much later. In a way, and so I wonder if if that's all part of the response to your connection to this place and and how you're connected to this place.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was I felt like an outsider, and I, but I, I would, I'm an observer. By I mean, I, I'm I'm right. kind of a, I'm not really a ex, very extrovert extroverted person, and and I like to observe and. And and I think that goes to also comes across in the photography and and you know I don't I mean partly I I'm, I really admire you know a lot of street photographers who get very close to people and and I I, I don't think I, I'm probably way too shy to, to 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 try and do something but also I feel like you know working from further back it also gives this kind of I'm I'm somewhat removed and I really feel like I can just observe and be like that you know <laughs> like the James Stewart Jimmy Stewart in in Rear Window and and um and kind of. Not be participating in any way, and and um, Jeff Dyer calls me like doing my own surveillance in a way of people, right. uh, and and um, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I'm not really answering your question, maybe, but but I, no, I feel no, like I th- but, but you but are I, because you know, but yeah. I think I would say that. There's, i guess there's a lot of factors at play and, and you know in my work at the new york times as a photo editor i really literally worked with one local photographer for 7 7 months straight who was on the streets all the time and i would i would be in touch with him when i was in the office but or or from home but i was also like you know i would texting him early in the morning late at night did you get back home safely and and it was really intense period of like very full on period of work and then going from that to being at home the protests are over Covid hits it is really quiet, and then also my you know the city changed my my personal circumstances changed in terms of work and but I really fell in love with the place i mean you know my i was when i when I was in New York before Hong Kong for a couple of years a time, and I really loved in New York I loved being in New York I wanted to be in new york but but then I wanted to join the Times, but I really didn't want to leave the city, but the way you know i was like i am willing to go anywhere if I can join The Times and they had this opportunity in Hong kong and i I moved there and then actually. I hated the first week. I was like, mm. oh, man, I made the biggest mistake <laughs> of my life. You know, I left the city I love and, and I don't like it here. But then, you know, I started it's I just like really warmed up to the place. And I love the place so much now. And, and especially during the end Oh, I guess, you know, by twenty end of 2019, I knew that, you know, we we're going to leave, you know, relatively soon. In the end, it took 18 months because of COVID. We, otherwise, we would have probably left already spring of 2020. And then when I knew that I we were going to have to leave this place and you know where my my um my first daughter was born and then and then during you know end of 2020 our younger one was born and you know and it all just made me you know the the realization that we were leaving Hong Kong just made me fall in love all the more to the place and I I miss it dearly and and when when it wasn't really until a year after we got back to New York uh, we got back here after a period of spending time in, in Finland and then back in Venezuela where my wife's from. Came back to New York October 2021. But I didn't really start looking at the work until a year later. One of my friends had choked, or he used to choke when he saw my Instagram post of this Hong Kong work that, you know, I'll buy the book if you may ever make one. And then I, I guess he he kind of like, you know, planted that seed and uh, of maybe I could, maybe there is something here. And then I think towards the end of my time in Hong Kong, I definitely, I knew that I wanted, you know, I want to do a book. And I, I and I, then I was really determined to, especially on, from the last few months to make as much use of the time that I had. And th- But then... It was year after we got back to New York that I only started really looking at the work and, and I went through kind of everything that I had taken. And then in a the space of, you know, two months, I was, you know, up till 2, 3 a.m. often at, in the morning after work and after the kids were, family was a bed you know, for a couple of hours editing and narrowing it down, narrowing it down. And my, I, I'm telling a very long, wide story, but like what, but then looking at the work really, you know, brought it all back and, you know, just made me obviously think of Hong Kong but miss it more but but also now really having the book in you know in my hands and looking at it it's you know I haven't been back since we left and I I, I, you know I very much want to go back and I would love to we lived in this you know really cute like neighborhood where there was a lot of like small art galleries and so on I would absolutely love I I, you know Mm. to get like maybe like a pop-up exhibition or something like that in in, in that in was hong kong. sort of complete the
0: circle uh, for complete you. the circle to, and actually to, literally right, right. literally have yeah. it in a
1: exhibit. It maybe on the streets that we literally appear in in a lot of the photographs that i took from the you know our bedroom window um right would be right really terrific. so if, if there's anybody <laughs> listening who you know in hong kong <laughs> has, has a space
0: in hong kong in your yeah. old neighborhood yeah yeah <laughs> Let's get a little bit more into Jeff Dyer's uh, essay. Uh, It's it's really fantastic. Jeff Dyer really hits upon a lot of... um I think classic photographic conceptual ideas of truth and what a photograph is about and sort of the the difference between the idea of uh, photographing an event and photographing nothing, right? Um, mm. this in fact, he he starts off I think saying that there's nothing happening in these photos, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't mean that they are some kind of, you know, timeless symbols um because there are also in, there's intense details and color and other things in the photograph and that's what I really love about the essay is the idea that there are social cues and color cues and language cues and architecture cues no. i mean there are things in the photograph that do make it of time and yeah. place yeah. right um which i think is, is something I, I i like to talk a lot about with my students and i really think it works so well in these photographs cuz maybe Maybe a silhouette of a person staring out a window on a public transportation could be many, many cities. Mm-mm. But then yeah. maybe that seat is a certain color mm. or there's a a kind of warning sign that uses a certain set of symbols or colors mm. that's only particular to, to one place or yep. another. And then you kind of get the idea, oh, this isn't where I think it is or, mm-hmm. you know, this is of a specific time and place. And what Jeff Dyer kind of says in the end is... It's sort of a matter of fact right it's not something you had to intentionally think about when making the photos it just happens to mm. be in the photos themselves mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yeah. how did you uh, sort of think about that or respond to that when you when he wrote that essay
1: I mean but I love what he what he wrote um, it's not a long text but I think it's not it's it's a very small book and, and right, right and it's not a lot of images I mean it's like you know sixty, 60 you know and also that you know it's like four pages of text and I would just firstly say like I was so thrilled to have him on board because I you know I love his ongoing moment I love his you know what he, he did his book where he you know basically wrote his thoughts on like 100 or so like Gary Winogrand photographs and right you know and then and you know I'm basically I'm nobody as a photographer and then you know I handed down his email address at the, what is it, the University of South California and wrote to him like would you be interested and he was and to have him write was such an honor and and what? But I, I, basically told him, you know, you you write what you write, and then when I saw it, it just in a way he, in some ways, I feel like he explained some of my, you know, some of something about my photography that I didn't even understand. Um, That's the best you know. way
0: to, to learn. And right? and, and, yeah. and
1: but like you know, I you know, he mentions at the towards the end of end of the text, you know, Saul Leiter, who you brought up also, William Eggleston, mm-hmm. Alex Webb, and right. you know, these are definitely people whose work I look a lot. Um, and I would also mention Ernst Haas, who's probably one of my biggest mm. heroes, and and these are people that I look up. So their work is very, very has been very, very influential on, on the way I take photographs and the kind of images I want to take. I guess and what I've been grappling with is like you know I told to one of my old former time colleagues like who I, I shared the PDF with, and he was like, "This is really good, you know, this looks like Saul Leiter," and I said said to him like yeah i just hope that people don't think i'm like a cover act you know you know like i'm <laughs> like the you know acdc you know cover act playing playing a, at cover the pub band. Or, you know, a cover band yeah <laughs> and and he was like no it's like we you know he he wrote to me uh like um you know we all take from our heroes and Absolutely, you know, and that's, then like, we, and that's then, what and I was then, just about to say. You can't make a
0: photograph that won't remind someone of someone else. it, yeah, yeah. it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And and I mean, yeah. I certainly had a lot of images of umbrellas in my and and i had i cut them down a lot i mean there's still i think there's three or four umbrellas and half of them are kind of bought used as pa- more like parasols rather than for to cover from rain. Right. but but right. you know the South Lider, you know i think he owns the he owns the umbrella so i don't want to have too much of them but uh, you know I, there's some in that i just really wanted to have in, but like. I hope that I've taken from my heroes and then created something of my own. And, and certainly what you, you know, you described, you talked about, and then, you know, the interiors of a tram or how the city looks, you know, right. Hong Kong in 2020 or 2021 doesn't look like New York in 1960s or right. 50s or 60s, like when, you know, Saul Leiter was photographing on, you know, certain stylistic things and ways to make photographs that there, there's similarities, but it's, you know, the, the, in, they're ultimately still very different and off the place. As, as like Jeff Dreyer writes that, you know, certainly I, I would love to, the images to be timeless, in to have certain timeless, and that people just don't think. you know, obviously there's a lot of people wearing masks of the people that you see from the front, exactly, which aren't many, right. which does it you know, definitely puts it at a certain time. But, but I think, you know, I would obviously strive to make images that are somehow timeless and universal. And, you know, as as Jeff Dyer writes, that you know nothing is completely timeless. That you know that the, the hairstyles and the fashions all put a signature. Oh, timestamp—certain kind of stamp, time timestamp in the image—and but and that
0: just changes how we will see the work twenty years from now yeah. contextually, right? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't—it doesn't make the photographs better or worse. Mm. It just makes uh, certain cues, you know, contextually different, right? Yeah. We'll look, but by in twenty years, we'll be talking about that period in a different way. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't affect what you were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. What I'm trying to say is like this book. If there's intention to the book, it's it is your connection to this place Mm-mm. and your farewell to this place, yeah, right? And yeah. that that intention doesn't change contextually yeah, at all. Yeah. But how people will see the photos in terms of if if they are aware of the time and place while looking at them, contextually that always changes. It does now. I mean, if you take uh, um, Saul Leiter's work today, there it, there is this. Maybe sometimes bit of melancholy when mm-hmm. people look at the work if they were aware of that time when they were you know yeah. while they're looking yeah. at it right or something like yeah. that. I mean, or yeah. disdain, disdain, yeah. right? Who knows? Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm you know <laughs> I'm born
1: 1979 in 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 a very small town in rural rural uh-huh. Finland, and you know I haven't you know I have no experience of you know from of like what was New York in the fifties or sixties, right. but it <laughs> is there's definitely obviously there's certain still nostalgia because i think new york is this particular place especially that i think you know you know obviously features in mu- tv shows and music that we all have mm-hmm. like this relation certain kind of right. relationship even though we haven't been to it but but still like whether it was this lighter or, or ernst haas or louis farrer or louis mm-hmm. stettner that there's there's some you know some sort of universality that uh, in their images that like a countryside boy like me kind of like you know right <laughs> S- several ge- generations younger than you know you know and obviously you know the, everybody takes their own thing out of it and you know and also if my work from hong kong is a farewell, my own farewell and you know the farewell of some of the expat friends but exactly. there was also a lot of y- hong kong youth who you know who moved back especially the uk and canada who have left right. the territory because they feel that you know they cannot do what they want or be as free as they want um, yeah no i know, mean I, from
0: my own experience of, of being abroad and it was a much shorter time there's a an intensity to sort of learning everything very quickly because Mm -hmm. you have to, to work (laughs) or to get things done Mm -hmm. at the same time when you're done, it, it all feels very fleeting, right? Mm -hmm. It all feels like, I can't believe how, how much I did in this short amount of time or how much my life changed in this short amount of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you were exposed to new ideas and new traditions and, and everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then looking back on it, 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 what's interesting about your book being uh, as small as it is, is it is very similar to the kind of memories you have of a place mm-hmm. that was very new to you and you had to learn it very quickly and then left in a relatively short period of time. Mm. It is a very compressed set of memories, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As, as time goes on.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're a little, I mean, I guess most of the images, you know, they're pretty much the size of a, almost like a postcard. And, yes. and, you yes. know, in, in the actual, like the yeah. physical side, size, I like that. And I kind of actually, there's a lot of, one of my kind of pet peeves about photography books and way too many books. I don't know if I have small hands <laughs> or what, but I, I hate really big books. And, and you know, what? <laughs> I you're probably familiar with these like photo file books, you know, originally published by, I think, Del Pier or something in Paris. And now I think Thames and, oh, okay. Th- right, Thames and right. Hudson does this. In English they you know, they do this like kind of a portfolio of a master, whether it's Saul Leiter or Ernst Haas right, or right. cartier Bresson or Andres Kertes. and I love those. Those are very small, they're even smaller than my book. Yeah. And actually when I started talking with the publisher, what 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 size of a book would I like to make? And I
0: I have them right here. Oh yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah.
0: Yes. That's what it's yes. <laughs> I you know and it's so
1: handy size. And I actually I had I had the Saul Leiter I feel like I keep mentioning his name way too much now. but
0: But Ernst Haas
1: has his photo file books literally as my, as ones that I would take when I, you know, when we went back home to, you know, Finland or when we went to yeah. Venezuela, you know, to visit my wife's family. It's like as oh, wherever we traveled, as kind of these traveling companions, sources of inspiration, I was like, I wanted to take photos, but I feel like if I'm in like a creative rut, yeah. you know, and I would look at this, go through the, you know, one of these photo file books and, and just be inspired and, 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 you know, just be get this burst of creativity just from being exposed to their, yeah. their creativity. And 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 that idea of loving those small books made me want to kind of do a small book. To keep my, my books, you know, small in size too. I guess it helps that, you know, all of my work, all the images are vertical images. So even in a smaller page, they can actually, you know, be relatively big.
0: It's the kind of book you might take with you somewhere, mm, as opposed you know. to the kind of book you... You have at home, yeah. sort of ready for people to look at when they visit and spread out that kind yeah, of idea. Yeah. I know in in the circles I, I travel, uh, uh, Roy De Carava's "Sweet Fly" paper of life mm. is seen as sort of this ideal, perfect sized book.
1: I, I am not familiar of that book, um, mm-hmm. but I'll look it up. But I' funny that you should mention his name because there was this one quote I saw in in one of his one of his books where he said like. I don't remember, I might, hopefully I'm not like trashy, you know, saying completely wrong, but it was something (laughs) like that. I'm not making like a political statement with my work. This is like Roy Cavara. Right. I'm not making a sociological statement. I'm making it like a creative statement Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, that the idea, that was kind of the idea that I got from that quote that... um, No, that makes sense. which, 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 Which kind of like, which felt like it resonated with what I was trying to do. I'm not trying to say... You know, mainland China is taking over Hong Kong or, or like, or people are, you know, feeling politically oppressed. It's about seeing and, and just being, taking in a place. And, and, but obviously those, you cannot, you know, what we discussed earlier now, there's all these underlinings or like background things going in the background that affects. Affects the context and 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 you know and 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 obviously my mindset in taking the images and sometimes maybe the actual particular frame that I'm taking. But but no, I the, think your you know,
0: your book reads more like a a poem or a love letter to yeah. a, a place that you're leaving. Yeah,
1: With, that's such so beautifully said, and and that would I uh, you know I would it's pretty much exactly how I would love people to receive it. And you know I guess one thing I'm I saw I I think the book is already like on a, like an Amazon website and and mm-hmm. it said like it's. It's like number one in in new Hong Kong travel guides or something <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I, don't, I mean
1: I don't know that, I, I is, mean, that
0: happens in the American market all the yeah time it's funny with, i mean yeah, I certainly yeah. don't
1: i I certainly <laughs> don't want people to think that it's you know or be fooled to thinking that it's travel photography, and that you know it it is not, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm probably not helping that I'm just calling it with the with the name of the place uh, one of my friends, one yeah. of the photographers I work with who also is working on her own book and she was like. You can't just call it Hong Kong and, you know, you, you know, but I was like, I just, I love the sound of the <laughs> place, the Hong Kong, it's just kind of, it's also like, so a matter of fact, this is what it is. It is, this is my view of Hong Kong and and, and then you, you can take from it what you want or what you, you what ideas you get, but um yeah. And I guess it also comes from from maybe from the photojournalism background that, you know, mm-hmm. it, even though it, it is, you know, it's creative photography, but it's still very much in the, you know, everything is real. Nothing is manipulated. N- no pixels have been moved. It's in that, you know, I'm in, in, interested in the real world, but it's more like subjective view of like really the subject matter doesn't always matter. Sometimes matter, but doesn't always matter. It's more like if if I see something that visually attracts me i want to make a photograph of it and if it if it feels like a you know still interesting after i've taken it and look at it and you know it's still you know i keep it and and then when i was editing the work then i was kind of connecting images that um you know obviously i had never thought of as being part of a pair or something but i you know i kind of create these connections by pairing them but and and, but also thinking of a sequence that the books are is i think there's there's 66 images plus like two like horizontal images one at the end one at the one at the beginning one at the end but the way i started thinking about the work it was like really like as a like this kind of offbeat journey to through the city you know from which you can kind of like you know there may be some sort of suggestive narratives or you know having taken the photographs knowing exactly what places those are where they were taken i get different things than the reader and i you know i i don't give Locations, I don't give you know the dates right. and any, it's basically there's a page number, but and they just like completely leave it open. And but, um, but I very much thought of it as not like oh, these are my 66 or 68 best images of Hong Kong, but like 66 that somehow created this one hole that well, an edit like I built edits at my work. But well, that well, the, the book, know, yeah.
0: the book as a piece itself, right, mm. as its own thing. Yeah becomes kind of a adjacent to the idea of a impressionism right mm-hmm. an impressionistic attachment to mm-hmm. a place right mm-hmm. where when you're looking at the work you're also supposed to feel something right uh, there's there's a, an emotional element mm-hmm. to it as well and inter
1: yeah. and interpret it and not just like you know um even though it's based on the real but it, it's i think you know doing your own visual interpretations of those scenes and trying to yeah relate some of the yeah. feelings that you have but also the feelings you get from the scene that yeah that is it's it's I think the photojournalist in me has grappled and still is grappling with the idea of of this idea of meaning. And even coming to this podcast, you know, I was like, what am I going to say when Michael asks me, what are these photos about? And, you know, in some ways, I have no idea. There's just like... I think there's like a Louis Fa- uh, Susan Kismarik writes. I think it's in in the style book about Louis Faurer that you know that mm-hmm. she writes about um, this joy of seeing. I hope I, I you know reference it correctly. That's in in that in that text. But the joy right. of seeing, which is to me, it's that's like the you know where it all starts. That you know, right. I love photography and I love looking at things, but, but I, I liberated myself to take photographs of anything that interests me and that way starts, but obviously that, you know, it, it gets further than, and, and then, then you, when you realize that you're working on a potential body of work, then, you know, obviously then you start thinking what I have taken before, what do I want and, and what do I want to add to it and so on. But, um,
0: I don't know so, where I started. But no, no, <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah. So when is the book actually come out?
1: So the book is coming out April 2nd, you mm-hmm. know, everywhere worldwide, um, we we printed it in Germany end of the summer, but we were just going kind to of miss kind of the U.S. fall market. And oh, I didn't okay. I didn't really want to kind of publish it in Europe in the fall and then like six months later in in the U.S. So what we decided, like, let's just hold off. Let's just wait. You know, the work is not, it's not going to suffer from it or like we're not in any hurry. Yeah. And let's just get it out at everywhere at the same time. So we're still like nearly three months away from the official publishing date. Uh, you know, obviously I have a certain amount of copies that... I have myself, and I, you know, probably open like for pre-orders, and people can, mm-hmm. you know, if they want order from me, and and then you know, I'll I'll ship it in in, in early April, and or in Europe they can oh soon I think you know order from the publisher, and it you know it should be I think Kira has pretty good uh, you know distribution network, and 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 it'll be hopefully okay. available you know in the UK in the bookstores, and 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 in the US, and it's on on Amazon, and and you know and and, yeah. and you should be able to um get it early April, but I'm hoping that you know. I've been fighting. I have this internal battle: like, should I have like some sort of launch event because I'm like, I'm like kind of a socially awkward person an introvert, <laughs> I know, and introvert. Yeah, you have to put yourself I, you out know, there I, now. I You know, I don't <laughs> want to get people to a place and then like force them to buy the book or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I've been talking with some of my friends who have kind of start tried to convince me that I'll, I'll have to mark somehow the you know the occasion. You're, gonna so to, you're gonna have I'm, I'm to. you gonna have to
0: practice how to uh, receive compliments yeah, and make small talk. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so i I'll I'll, I'll, I'll have something like I guess. Uh, you know, first week of uh, very early right. of April, and to kind of yeah. somewhere here in, in Bef- New York. Before I let you go, yeah, you know,
0: I and if if you don't want to talk about this at all, you don't have yeah. to. I noticed that uh, the New York Times New York Times uh, ran, uh, I guess, an article on itself that it it sued. Um, it's suing OpenAI and mm-hmm. Microsoft AI for uh, copyright using copyrighted mm-hmm. work from the yeah. New York Times. And as a photo editor, and um, all of us, mm-hmm. you know, we're all thinking about authorship and copyright mm-hmm. and everything and uh, authenticity uh, mm-hmm. in both writing and the visual arts. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that? Has that affected you at all as a photo editor? you um, are having staff meetings about it. Uh, po- new policies being set. Well,
1: I mean, we're very careful on on. We definitely we've. We try to educate ourselves on you know ai images and and how to spot them and but and and you know we don't use any uh, i mean mm-hmm. that's like no you know, right yeah, that would be the death a, yeah, of yeah but like um but um yeah but also there's you know we any ai images are marked with with the, like a black box which says ai whether mm. it's uh, when, it, when it's published online or um in print and i believe that's the case every time except if it's if it's like an artist work that then really the article makes clear that the artist creates their work mm-hmm. with, with oh, artificial yeah. intelligence but like if it's you know if we show it we would you know very clearly market that it's AI but it's oh, definitely I, I
0: just meant more about someone submitting something right surreptitiously
1: you know we we use news agency images and 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 obviously um, you know they do their own set check, checking and and we right. um, uh obviously if we are reputable
0: ever, photographers you know right? if we if we ever <laughs>
1: have concerns we can reach out to them and and see can you like you know look into this and or can we see the role? Or so it
0: sounds like there's almost like a um a provenance that you're relying on. You're relying on a, a vetting system that sort of follows no, I a mean, chain of no, custody. No, I mean, well, when we
1: use the news agency, but obviously New York Times, we're in a very fortunate position that we still are capable of assigning a lot of original work, both right. by staff photographers right, and right. freelancers. And that's why I really love being at The Times because we can create so much original work. But I I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously we we you know there's certain ethical standards and requirements that we you know we have and we put on on our on our freelance contributors and staff photographers and and they know of course that you know you cannot use ai or even um you know you can't change anything in the image and so on but you know i would like to think that we work with such professionals who you know with the, you know, the, we 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 don't really have to worry too much about any of any of them. No, um, because uh, you, you're you know, trusting the people. Yeah. You, but obviously, you, have you know, we that. always you know we get take on new people, and we you know we share our, like our expectations mm-hmm. with them, and and when it comes to captions and how you can what you can do with the image and so on. So, um, yeah. but it's definitely you know I think we we probably have as an industry. Photography industry, or in photojournalism industry, you know, it's a very, very new thing. And there's, you know, obviously it's people have started to use AI in their artistic practice, but but it's obviously, you know, one that we have to keep like up to date on the latest development and, and be kind of alert on being able yeah. to spot these images and and probably you know it's just it just keeps getting better and it'll be obviously it'll become even more difficult to kind of spot these difficult. images but i mean yeah you know um there was i think it was like an amnesty international or something like campaign from for chile about like political freedoms or like something like that and they used like i think it was like an ai created image of like protesters being detained by police and it was kind of like well, it's disappointing to see that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an o- organization like that would then even in their like campaign advertising would end up using AI created imagery that it's, it's, right. it's like, you know, my point being that it is out there and, and, and the use of it does probably make a lot of ordinary readers and ordinary people kind of more suspicious on on actual photojournalism too.
0: Oh, right. No, no, that's, so that, the that's, big, a, that's, that's what you have to worry big, about is, more than yeah, anything. But it's, I, you know, yeah,
1: um, trust. Trust. It's trust. That goes really truth and trust. And it really goes at the, the heart of what we do, I think, in the industry, but also like, you know, in the mission of the New York Times. And, and we can never, you know, let go yeah. of that. And we, you know, yeah. have to work hard to keep, keep it. You
0: know. <laughs> so congratulations again on the book. It's, it's wonderful. And uh, we will uh, figure out a time for me to come in, get it signed and <laughs> do a little tour. Yeah. Great. <laughs> thanks for having me, Michael. Oh, thank you very much. This was really fantastic. All mm-hmm. right. Right. bye everyone bye. real photo show is produced by me Michael Chovendalton. dalton music by Matteo Chovendalton dalton and Jim Raimundo recorded at the Rutherford Music Exchange if you like the show please rate and review with all the stars on your favorite listening platform